Hello everybody, it's Sarah and welcome to the revamped version of Wednesday Night Wars here on Suplex Retweet Extra. This is where you'll find all the breakdowns between the Wednesday night so-called wars between AEW and NXT both happening on Wednesday nights. Joining me this week, I have brought on who's apparently my enemy for this week, (laughs) um, as I will be joining him on Saturday Draft Live uh, to defend my just-retained championship. It is Scott McLeod. Scott, how are you today? I'm very well, well, It's all pleasantries today, but, you know, on Saturday, it's war as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, so we'll bring the the war to Saturday. (laughs) (laughs) yeah, so as you can tell, Dave is no longer hosting the Wednesday Night Wars. Um, I have decided to pick it up because I feel like I don't do enough. <laughs> so, and also the fact that I watch AEW and NXT religiously. So what we'll do is we'll start with AEW this week. Uh, Scott, name me like one of your favourite moments starting off um, with this week's episode. Well, I was I was making like a couple of months there. I was like, we should have been highlighting from AEW, like when I was watching. Okay, so like we should be talking about like the two title matches and then and then everything else just not thrown out the window when Jericho asked to be confronted by the uh, baddest man on the planet, <laughs> and he's confronted by Orange Cassidy. I mean, I don't know about you, but Orange Cassidy is the baddest man on the planet. Well, clearly, I mean, he stood up to Jake Kager and Chris Jericho with his hands in his pockets, so. I have to say, I think that was, like, one of the cheekiest things, because, like, everyone considers Jericho to be the GOAT, the greatest of all time, whatever you want to call him, and it's just Orange going, well, can you do this with your hands in your pockets? <laughs> and he just basically just outrolled him and out the ring, getting carried over by the best friends, and you're like, what? What just happened? Yeah. I don't know like what if they're actually planning on something with Jericho and Tyson, but I wouldn't mind in the meantime, maybe at Fighter Fest Jericho, Orange Cassidy. I mean, there's your match of the year for twenty twenty right there. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. I mean we probably are going to be like expecting Jericho and uh Tyson for Fighter Fest because it's like they've decided to reamp a ten year so called rivalry. <laughs> Um, which I I did actually think it was quite funny that Jericho had brought that up originally because mm-hmm. um, it, it just sort of highlights it's like yes I don't forget my WWE days but at the same time it's it's given something new to the entire thing yeah definitely and I think the thing with Cassidy in the segment I think it shows Jericho wasn't afraid to work with just about anybody on the show, like he said in an interview before, like this, the debut of Dynamite, that said it doesn't matter who, like, what your opinion of, is of like members of the roster. He like, if they get a reaction, I'm happy, they're over and I'm happy to work with them. Like, he, in that interview, you mentioned Marcos, and like, some people don't find him believable, but if he's over, then I'll sell for him. So, he always yeah. sees like this value in Orange Cassidy's. Like, I think Cassidy was the standout in that ladder match, so he's clearly doing something right with him. And also Jericho sees that, so he's clearly willing to work with him. Mm-hmm. No, I completely agree. I think like it's it's hard because some people don't quite get the whole thing with Orange Cassidy. It, it is he is sort of just like you'll either love him or you'll hate him. But mm-hmm. 
he was like one of the standouts because at the end of the day, it, wrestling's all about having fun as well. It's not just about who wins or loses, and it gives that like nice wee lighter aspect to it. Mm-hmm. So, but we'll, we'll start off like see because you've mentioned Orange Cassidy and I actually mentioned Best Friends and we've mentioned Fighter Fest. We'll start off with this week's tag team title match. So. We had the team of Hangman Page and Kenny Omega taking on the the super bad team or the asset super bad team, whatever they want to call themselves, of Jimmy Havoc and Kip Sabian with Penelope Ford. I've I've got to tell you, I actually thought that Hangman and Kenny were going to drop the titles <laughs> like on this week's show. I was very very convinced about it, but I don't know if you felt the same, Scott. Yeah, I think it's very unlikely that they would drop to Sabian and Havoc, but I will say it was like a great showing for them because I'm kinda I'm kinda sad that out of most people in AEW it felt like Sabian and Havoc weren't really getting a lot to do. Mm-hmm. But I think since coming as a team like their win loss record has very much improved. And even in a losing effort they were made to look strong here. And obviously they continued the story up going into Fighter Fest with having the best friends being front and centre to watch the match and it's not been made official I don't think the commentators ever said it or they won't announce it but I've seen like multiple times on social media that Sabian and have it been referred to as the super bad squad like mm-hmm. why that hasn't been made an official AEW thing why there's not a t-shirt that I don't know <laughs> I'm actually quite surprised they haven't actually made a t-shirt because it just seems recently that t-shirts are just jumping up everywhere like the slightest little thing they'll take it and roll with it mm-hmm Quite like Britt Baker's, you know, role model for <laughs> Rolls Royce. Oh, that was fun. See, Britt Baker's another one that is really, she's coming into her own and she's quite highly undervalued right now. It's just a shame that she's injured. I know, but uh, it is smart that they've kept her on the show where she doesn't really have to do anything other than basically sit there and she's still getting her character over. And it's mm-hmm. the whole thing, like, if you're going to be out for a while, like, if you're off TV for a certain amount of time, you risk being forgotten about. But we're still talking about her, despite the fact she really didn't do anything. So they're, they're doing something right with her. Yeah, no, all she did was basically sit with her, with her pre-made Rolls Royce. And she started... It was I, it was swole that she she started <laughs> she started something up with. Because swole seems to be another one that's getting, getting quite over, even just by being in the crowd. Mm-hmm. I would say, because um, I thoroughly enjoyed her at Double or Nothing as part of, like, just part of the actual um, audience. Yeah, she was always, like, writing on it, like, how often she was getting up in Lance Archer's face. It was just <laughs> hilarious. And I think it's good that they're doing more with Soul, because I think the downside to Britt Baker going heel, even though it's better for her character, is that unlike with Shida and Chris Statlander, they're the only two real big faces you have on the one side of the roster. Like, because the women's division is quite filled with a lot of heels, so I think using Build and Swole up as another face really helps even it out. No, I, I completely agree, because like you just said, like the, the women's division is very heel heavy. You mm-hmm. don't have a lot. I mean, you have Rio, you have uh, Hikaru Shida, you have Chris Statlander. And nobody really else sort of kicking around as the predominant baby mm. faces. So, but a building swole up 
is another one who, like, not taking any crap from anybody as well. Um, she's definitely one that's I'm quite happy. Like, I'm I'm proper into it. Uh, just very, very quickly as well, because um, we were talking about the tag team title match, I was actually going down and checking like this massive tag team division that AEW seemed to have. I mean, I was looking at it. So we've got, started off with what, like FTR, we've got SEU, the best friends, we've got the Young Bucks, we've got um, Kip Sabian and Jimmy Havoc, which technically they're not an actual tag team, but they do tag together at least a good few number of times. Uh, Private Party, uh, Natural Nightmares, we've got The Dark Order, we've got Hangman Page and Kenny, Kenny Omega, TH2, Butcher and Blade, Pride and Powerful, The Gun Club, The Lucha Bros, and you've got like Jurassic Express as well. I mean, that's that's just a handful yeah. of tag teams as well. It's It's really, really good to see such a booming tag team division. Because you don't really tend to see that nowadays. Yeah, definitely. I think it's one of the things that AEW really followed up on when they promised like a great tag team division. Mm-hmm. And it's a weird thing we talk about the division, talk about best friends. I think they're more likely to take the belts from Hangman and Kenny because while well, some people may think Hangman and Kenny being part of the other, maybe better in ring, best friends have been a team for far longer. And a weird fact is that if ha- if Tricky T and Trent won. This would actually be the first time as the best friends that they've won tag belts together. Uh, oh, see, that would make me so happy if they actually did manage to take the belts because I think every single time it was like a tag team match, it's like for the number one contendership, like it was best friends and private party at double or nothing for mm. the number one contender spot. And I'm like, no, they've been tag, like, tag team number one for like ages and ages. Let them have a chance. I know, they do. It felt really like you were help. getting one. <laughs> yeah, they really didn't help Private Party in that number one contenders match because if you're not like a regular watcher of Dark and you really only catch Dynamite, you would have thought Private Party just disappeared. Mm-hmm. Whereas on Dynamite or on, on Dark, they were winning enhancement matches for a number of weeks, so they were claiming the ranks themselves. But that was the thing, you kind of made it obvious if you didn't watch Dark, then oh, Best Friends are probably winning then. Yeah, I mean... It'll make me very, very happy if Best Friends win it. Mm-hmm. So, moving on to... Because there wasn't actually that many matches this week on Dynamite. Like They'd like to, to do the whole build-up of the different storylines going around. And the next one coming up is on at Fighter Fest, we have the big scary man, as I like to call him, Brian Cage, with Taz, taking on John Moxley. For the AEW Championship. Yeah, I really like this because it was another enhancement for Cage. Like, just ran through somebody. And then he followed up on what Taz was saying last week where Moxley didn't really get a chance to respond. And the idea is that in Taz's mind, Moxley isn't taking them seriously. And he just expects Cage to kind of walk into a fighter fest and take the belt. Whereas Moxley just stormed down because he said, listen, I like the idea of fighting Brian Cage, but don't think for a second that I'm not taking this seriously. Because I like being the champion and I'm going to keep being the champion for as long as possible. Yeah, I mean, imagine if you turn around and said, no, actually, I don't fancy being the champion anymore. There you go. <laughs> like, you never know if someone might do it one of these days. But it's, I think it's probably, I wouldn't, like, not taking away from any of the past 
uh, men that have challenged Moxley, but this seems like probably the biggest fight that he felt that he is going to have because you know Brian Cage has been he's never been made to look like one. He is one. He's a big scary looking man. Well, I don't think any of us actually expected him to make his debut at like in the ladder match. So I know that when we did the sweeps that nobody mentioned Brian Cage yet I was proved wrong in the fact that he had been signed to the company since pretty much the beginning. He'd just been injured and still with impact. Yeah, this I think that was a really smart thing for AEW in that they signed them. There were the rumors also they didn't say comment on them. And they gave plenty of time and found out more from a debut and it was fortunate for them that so many people were released WWE because that's they were all people were talking about in the room other and naming people like Drew Gulak, Rusev and all that. Mm-hmm. So they guaranteed themselves a genuine surprise when Cage showed up and so I think in terms of a surprise debut, it couldn't have worked out any better for AEW. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And see pairing him with Taz. It's it's a good move, especially because you get to hear a variation of Taz's old catchphrase as mm-hmm. well. Um, and again, it, it's like the way they the, uh, built up Lance Archer as well to be the big scary monster that's unstoppable. So it'll be interesting mm-hmm. to see like what that match actually goes like at Fighter Fest, if it's going to be like a fight fight or if it's going to be like a wrestling match because I think depending on that will help determine like the outcome of the champion uh, Something one downside I would have to Cage being his opponent is that it actually seems like despite like Brody Lee and Cage both being more athletic for men of their size like Moxley's opponents since winning the title the people that have challenged them have been Jake Hager, Brody Lee and Brian Cage so it feels very similar, like, opponent-wise in that it's just Moxley going up against a bigger guy and having to overcome mm-hmm. that. I'd, I would like to see him fight someone more his own side or someone who's maybe more technical, maybe more of a high flyer, because it would give him a different challenge and it would shake it up a bit. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it'll be a good match, but, like, constantly putting your champion against, like, bigger guys that he has to overcome, that doesn't seem like... Uh, something for a champion like John Moxley, it feels like something for more of a plucky face, whereas Moxley is very like more of an anti-hero. Mhm. Well, see, saying that, who would you put against John Moxley for like the championship? I'd definitely say MJF is like a prime candidate. I think only probably the only reason that Brody got the title shot when he did was because maybe there wasn't anybody else available at the time because like MJF was coming back for injury. And like Pac, who was near the top of the rankings, couldn't get into the country because of you know, the restrictions due to the coronavirus mm-hmm. and all that. So it felt like Brody Lee was the only option, which then they had to have him get beat very early on. But I think MGF has been prime to be in the world title picture for a while. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I mean, the whole thing with Brody Lee was a bit confusing as to why he was the original person to get pushed so quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but speaking of Brody Lee, actually, um, what do you think about them trying to recruit Mr. Colt Cabana to the Dark Order? It's interesting because I'm not sure if I see Colt Cabana turning and like joining the Dark Order, but I do like the way that Dark Order have been going about recruiting people. 
Mm-hmm. They've been recruiting people who are down on their luck, like an actual cult, and making them because they'll be more susceptible to recruiting. And they've recruited like lower guys who haven't been getting a lot of wins. So I think it is a bit time to get more recognisable, like names from the roster on their mitts. I just don't see one of the most upbeat baby faces like Coke Cabana suddenly becoming like a follower of Brody Lee and like wearing the mask. I mean, I think it'd be very, very interesting. Because um, like they have been going around, but they've been they've failed to properly like recruit anyone that's they've, they've gone to up on like on TV, um like because like number ten that was sort of a, like a backstage thing, mm-hmm. and so I think like they need to try and recruit someone from Dynamite, like at this point just to sort of see. But it's very very hard to imagine <laughs> Colt as that, but you can maybe see him just. It's sort of like you can compare it to like a Chris Renfrew thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like just breaking, breaking away and seeing what happens. But one thing I actually wanted to quickly mention before we moved on to Brody Lee is just because you mentioned it. See, for the first time ever, that John Moxley, the champion, is actually going to be on Dark. Mm-hmm. Um. So I wanted to get like your opinion because like I know that we all have different opinions on the like on dark and what place it has with like the actual outgoings of everything. So do you think this sort of helps valid validate the fact that John Mox is going to be on dark? Yeah, I think so because like obviously it's on YouTube and rather than TV, so it's not as important as Dynamite. But in a sense, they've done their best to make it seem as important. You know, they had they've had title matches on the show. They've had like their major stars. They had a an unsanctioned match on the second ever episode. So I think definitely it's just another step in validating. And like I regularly enjoy Dark because yeah, it can get a bit same like an hour of enhancement matches after another. But you still get to see people that you may hadn't seen on that week's Dynamite, and it saves everybody from being overexposed on the same show every week because one thing we complain about Derry is that it's the same people every week whereas somebody gets a couple of weeks off a of dynamite they will get a quick match on dark mm-hmm. no I think like I was quite surprised to learn that John Moxley was going to be on dark but can't think of it as a really really bad thing because like you said yeah it may be on YouTube but they do change around who's going to be on it each week. Like, it's never, ever the same person. Yeah. I mean, you had Billy Gunn on this past week, so... I mean, who doesn't love a bit of Billy Gunn? Well, we know but Ross did, but... Well, he's lost his second name. He's just Billy now. It's like, right. I've, I've noticed, like, the losing of the second name. Dash has lost her second name as well, and you're like, where's that? Oh, no, the names, the names are going now. <laughs> what I do like is that something that I don't think we've seen a lot before is that promoting uh, Dark on Dynamite because it seems like the shows have felt very separate and they haven't really mentioned a lot on Dark because like on Dark they'll maybe occasionally mention all this past week on Dynamite and remember so-and-so's got this match on the next week's Dynamite but they rarely ever mention Dark but I think the idea of them mentioning that Moxie's going to be there I think they're trying to drive more views to the YouTube channel. Yeah I mean it, it, it can't do them any bad things I think Mm-hmm. Um, another thing I do want to talk about before we move on to talking about NXT this week 
because we have the run-up to In Your House, which I'm pretty sure we are doing our preview show. Yeah, okay. I think there's one planned, but... Yeah, there is one planned. Uh, if not, then I sound stupid. But <laughs> um, the thing I want to talk about is Sammy Guevara and his singing. <laughs> that was my highlight of the week. Um, because before I had had a chance to sit down and watch AEW, I'd seen Sammy tweet out that he was a fantastic born singer. And I was like, right, OK, I don't know the context of this. And then watching it. And you're just like, oh, Sammy, Sammy, Sammy. <laughs> Bless him. But, yeah, his singing. What What was your hot take on his singing? Maybe ever so slightly off-key, just only a touch, but I am the same as you. I had seen that clip shared somewhere before I'd even watched Dynamite. And, you know, fair enough for Sammy for getting a good go. I mean... This is an absolute anthem, so you know you can't fault a man for trying. <laughs> yeah, no, I I would definitely agree with that. Um, you you can't fault him for at least giving it his best shot. Mm-hmm. I mean, he didn't do horrible. I've heard worse. Yeah. <laughs> right, we're gonna jump over from TNT to the USA Network. And we were going to jump over to NXT. So, hot take on this week's NXT. Give it a rating out of 10. Maybe a 7, I think. I don't really think about it that much. But I think maybe I slightly preferred uh, NXT. Because I think there was, other than the two title matches on AEW, there wasn't that much else going on. It was a very building episode, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think like when it came to this week, because they were putting together the final touches for in your house they were doing like all the um the prime targets mm-hmm. and the build-ups and then like the last storyline to create the final matches uh, i want to get started off with the change in johnny gargano and candice larray because <laughs> i think the first time when i saw candice i said the exact same mia yim said about her not being able to tone her hair like <laughs> and i was like i was quite glad someone else had actually said it um but i think this has been a it's been a nice, not even a nice way, it's been a fun way to sort of build up because of acknowledging couples within WWE. It's like mm. we've, we've got the married couple and then we've got like who could be deemed as like the sort of next power couple in NXT is with Mia Yim and Keith Lee. And it's a, it was a good way to sort of set up the continuation of this North American Championship match between Johnny Gargano and Keith Lee. My big fear was when they um, created the mixed tag match, not only Johnny was not he was not dressed to wrestle, obviously, but we all know what happens if someone walks down the aisle near Keith Lee. <laughs> they tend to go flying, but they've got the Perspex glass. So I was like, that he wouldn't go far, and it would be a bit sore. Mm-hmm. Um, but what did you think about the, the build-up for the North American Championship match and... Also, the involvement of the women to end up creating this six-women tag team match. I really enjoyed it. Like you said, we all, well, majority of us probably already know about Candice and Johnny and also Mia Yim and Keith Lee being real-life couples. So it's fine that they're obviously acknowledging that and not trying to like skirt around it. But I was surprised that they did the mixed tag on this week's NXT. I thought they would have saved that, that even regardless of what happened on and your eyes were probably going to keep the thing going between these four. So mm-hmm. I thought we could have saved the, the mixed tag. And 
Although fair to Keely wearing paint trainers and what looked like very comfortable joggies <laughs> and still imagine them if they were wearing the ring very comfortably. Yeah. No, I I was quite surprised that they were that they created the the mixed tag team match, especially because Johnny was not cleared to wrestle. Well, he's not he wasn't cleared, but he wasn't dressed to wrestle. I mean they they went and said that his jeans were from Baby Gap. <laughs> it's like when you're looking at it, like you'd realise just how skinny Johnny's legs actually are. Mm-hmm. And you're like, what? Um, but it was a it was a good good way to sort of go into these two matches because you've got the heels as the ones with the momentum, given the fact that Johnny stabbed Keith Lee in the eye with some car keys. <laughs> um, so let's just hope that he'll actually like be able to see. <laughs> um, but the involvement of the women as well, because you've been having Tegan Knox and Dakota Kai with Raquel Gonzalez um, sort of in the background, and you've included Shotzi as well. Um, I did like the touch last week on NXT when Tegan brought the pizza <laughs> to the Gargano household, but ate it all <laughs> before <laughs> she even got there. Um, so that was like, it was a good way to actually combine those two different storylines that are going on into one match because you're like right okay we need one, maybe one more match but we've got two predominant storylines how do we work this mm-hmm. um, and they just sort of mix them both together which it's not the worst thing and I'm actually looking forward to like seeing the fact that there's going to be nine women all together on the card for In Your House mm-hmm. yeah I mean, I mean I'm just happy to see Tegan yeah, Tegan Knox is on the card just in general, so you know, I'll take whatever type of match it is. And it did seem weird that, like, when the Cruiserweight title match wasn't added to the card, so you wondered, are they going to add any more matches or they can keep it with five? And then they made the announcement of the six one tag, where cause I thought if it wasn't going to be the Cruiserweight title match, then if they're going to have a match, it would just be a straight up singles between Mia and Candice, but they've naturally created this opportunity to get more women on the card. and I believe that like you said there are nine women on in your house. I'm pretty sure, if I'm not mistaken, that this might be the most women ever featured on a takeover card. Like I think, I think you might be right actually, because even with war games, there was only about there was technically there was technically eight of them featured, but so only never six, made it to the ring. But, <laughs> but only six of them made it to the ring. We're not going to start this again. Am my decision stands. With all fairness, I had that answer right on the NXT quiz, so I don't care. <laughs> Same before but, anybody else gets me any more heat. <laughs> no, no, because you, you. We won't talk about this. If you if you want to see or listen to the dispute over what me and Scott are talking about, go back and listen to this week's show. It's the big NXT quiz. You'll see and see if you can agree with me and Scott, or if you agree with Jack and Grant. But we're going to move on to the next match. Now, one of these men is someone that you have sort of been watching quite closely since, like, the breakout tournament in Isaiah Swerve Scott. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was taking on, you know, Mr. Mr. Pack, Mr. Pack's 8-Pack, Tony Nice. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, was, it was a very, very strange match to come after the video package that they were building up for In Your House between Adam Cole and Velveteen Dream because um, we, we will talk about that after we've talked about that match because I've got a question about Velveteen Dream in that 
Um, but I think in this match, yeah, I actually seen a much more aggressive side from Isaiah Swerve Scott. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so. I think you, you show any can like be very versatile, like on the Indies, especially like, you know, he's a very great wrestler. He went a deathmatch promotions. I mentioned some more deathmatch show, I think, where like people like him go to their promotions like that. And they don't need to just to show that, yeah, I can do this. So mm-hmm. he's shown he can basically adapt to anything. And obviously they had a good story coming out of the, uh, the interim cruiserweight title tournament. And they were showcasing the, the rest of the division potential challenges for whoever won in the main event. What I, I thought was weird, though, was the whole thing of Gallagher coming out, trying to help me, and then the basically that being completely useless because Swerve got the win anyway. Yeah, it, it didn't really seem to go how it wanted because it's just Jack Gallagher just sort of appeared. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there was no reason for him to be out there. And, like, even it just goes to show that sometimes, even if you try and take the advantage, you'll screw up and, you know, the babyface will overcome it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I do think like that was a bit of a random match. Like there wasn't a lot of story behind it. Mm-hmm. But I would probably say it was like one of the the most entertaining matches that like those two men individ- like together put on. Like they've not really faced each other. Um, but it just the different overlapping styles. I think is what done it for me. Yeah, and I think we need as they create this natural story for him because he lost here. And he went winless in the A block of the tournament, so there's obvious frustration for him there. And you know he's he's near to try even harder to get back up and earn a cruiserweight title shot. Yeah. So I, I want to talk about the video package for uh, Adam Cole and Velveteen Dream. I'm so glad it's not Dave doing this show, by the way. Thank God. <laughs> um, my one big question was why was Velveteen Dream rollerblading or roller skating? I think that was my biggest <laughs> takeaway from it. It wasn't like the actual build up to the match at all. It was why he was just going around this one wee area, just roller skating. Because he can, because he's the dream. Because <laughs> he's the dream. Um, I will leave like predictions for In Your House for when we do the um, preview show, which hopefully we'll be recording soon. But I want to move on to the number one contender tag team match um, because I was very, very surprised because um, we, we knew the, the Undisputed Era of Roderick Strong and Bobby Fish because Kyle O'Reilly is, you know, still isolating. And it clearly showed when he popped up in that video package because the state of that beard that is a lockdown beard I've ever seen. Yeah. Everybody oh, yeah. else is so well groomed. Lockdown's not been kind to him, unfortunately. <laughs> Um, we had the team of Oni Lurkin and Danny Birch as well taking on like a mystery tag team. Now, before we even say what tag team actually emerged, did you expect it to be this tag team? I'm pretty sure I'd maybe see that offhandly mentioned that they came back. I don't know if I put two and two together that it was in this match. I'm pretty sure if you were Ryan Gallagher, then you probably were hoping it was in share rather than just showing up at the end and standing on the ramp for no reason. Yeah, that was a bit of a strange one. It'll be interesting to see what goes on, because with this match, it broke off into different many directions that we can talk about as well, because, um, yeah, so Breezango were the team to to come back. 
um, after Fandango had been out injured mm-hmm. for a wee while, um, giving a nice a nice tip to the space launch that had happened earlier in the week. Um, but it was, it was always fun to see um, Bruce Angle, but I think my favourites going into the match was Birch and Larkin. Like for for me, I just think it's when long overdue that well, like for even another shot at the tag titles because I can't remember the last time they had a shot at the titles. I think uh, I'm pretty sure they shot an NXT when the Street Profits the champion. So yeah, it was still quite a while ago. It was a fair while ago. I mean, out of the th- out of the three teams, did you expect? Angle to be the one to come away with the win. I think I kind of wanted them to win once I seen it was then that came back. And I think given that they are the, the surprise team, then I think that really made sense that it was going to be them that won. And plus, well, they haven't had really much a title shot since Team NXT because like they got title shots when they were in like the peak of the fashion finals, but that was like 2017. I don't think mm-hmm. they've had a shot since. And especially now, you look at the matchup, the idea of like the. <laughs> Over the top Bizango against very serious like Imperium. Like the matchup, I think, makes a lot more sense, like the, them being polar opposites. Yeah, that was one thing. Like, when you just, like, you have Imperium come out at the end of the match and they're standing, and you just, you just sort of put two and two together and go, wait a minute. You've got <laughs> the, one of the most serious teams ever going against people who are so over the top and flamboyant and like just proper out there you're like you could not get more opposites in NXT right now than Imperium and Brizango. Yeah I remember Osa Grant uh, posting in our group chat the other day about like the main reason Imperium won the title to begin with was they needed the belts off of Riddle and like Thatcher or Riddle and Dunn because Riddle was going up but they thought mm-hmm. it was too soon they put them on in share so it, it was kind of a rash decision they put them on Imperium I think given that they weren't technically planned to be the champions, do you see this as being a, a short run for them? Do you think Bizang could actually win? I mean, I'd love to see it, but I don't know if they'd actually do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think definitely agree with the fact that everything is still quite new for a mm. lot of the tag teams that are coming up. So at least you've got a team that has experience and the fact that they can't really compete on NXT UK right now. And yeah. take the take the uh, the titles off our boys Gallus. Um, I have to say, like, see, my standout for that match was Oni Larkin, though. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know what it is about him, but is I, th- I think it's more the fact that no one can do a hot tag like him. <laughs> no one can do a hot tag like Oni Larkin. Um, but he's like a breakout star that's waiting to happen. I think. Um. I would love to see him still teaming with Birch, but see if he was to go on a singles run, but not say no. Absolutely yeah. not say no. <laughs> he's definitely great at ring. I mean, some people might not look at him and think he's, at first glance, that he's overly, like, he's, like, he's got a lot of personality. But, I mean, if you want to see how much personality so just look at the episode of 205 Live they did where Lorcan was showing, like, the matches that made him. And when they won the clips where they cut back to him, he's doing squats while holding his pet corgi in his hands. And that's all so confused. I love his Corgi. Like, even if you want to see the personality he's got, just look at his Twitter account as well. Oh, his Twitter handle's at Star Destroyer, for God's sake. (laughs) 
<laughs> yep, and then he just tweets in all capitals. It's the same with the dog. Like, Riley's <laughs> got his own Twitter as well. <laughs> like, I'm not ashamed to say that I follow Riley on Twitter. Um, but one very, very weird thing that I am so interested to see where this goes is Dexter Loomis and his obsession with the Undisputed Era. <laughs> um, because of, like, that, that backstage drawing of, like, the caricature of them in the back seat of the car and he's driving it. He's appeared under the ring. Is the comparison I made now? It's, it's unless you've watched this, you're not going to get it. But it's like beware in Pokemon with Team Rocket. It just it likes to just grab them and run away every single episode, like a weird obsession. And that's what I'm connecting with it. So if anyone does actually get that reference, bravo, thank you. <laughs> um, okay. But I'm interested to see what this weird obsession is. Mm, yeah, because it was weird, like, he was, had the backstage interview and I also thought he was just going to wander off and not answer the question, but then he can, comes back with the all the stuff to make he's drawn and, he, you know, he's channeling his inner Bob Ross with his little drawing of the Undisputed Era. I mean, I've been watching a lot of Bob Ross recently. I mean, couldn't have helped to have a little half, a few happy little trees in the background there, Dick. Come on, <laughs> really bring it together. <laughs> yeah, no, I, um, it's very, very strange because obviously Dexter Lewis doesn't talk. Mm-hmm. I think when they were doing that backstage thing, I was praying that he wasn't going to open his mouth because as, as soon as that happens, all the mystery is going to be gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's just proper captivating you. you it's, he's a creepy, creepy man, but you kind of want to see what happens next. And I hope this just doesn't fall flat in his face or you know, he turns out to be some creepy person that locks him in his basement. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised, but I think the thing he, what they're doing with this Dexter Lewis character is like, you've seen signs of this like weird like, stalker, serial killer almost uh, character when he's in TNA, but I think WWE's just built upon it even more. And yeah. they've done it better because, like, I'm not, I can't really remember if he's that good a talker, but the thing is, they've made his character in such a way that he doesn't really need to talk, so it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I wasn't too familiar with uh, him outside WWE, so uh, I'm I'm hooked because I want to see what like what this goes with. Um, we had like so many matches on NXT um, in comparison to AEW this week, and we're gonna have a quick look at um, Aaliyah and Santana Garrett. Uh, it was quite a quick match. Um, I think what took the attention most away was, you know, Robert Stone having a breakdown. Yeah, that was where my focus mainly was. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, because like we know that Chelsea Green has now fired him because she finally got a win. <laughs> um, so she's now ridden off into the sunset. He's having a bit of a breakdown, and Aaliyah still is not able to get a victory. So. I'm quite interested to see what happens with the Robert Stone brand um, just because like him himself such a good talker mm-hmm. um, but it's like for this early on for a client to fire their representation and for him to have a mental breakdown I'd be very very interested to see like how this comes about again because you, you've seen Zack Ryder um, or formerly known as Zack Ryder, Matt Cardona, uh, tweeting that first of all he tries to steal his gimmick, 
<laughs> and then tries to steal his fiance, and then tries to steal his love of Edge, and you're like, uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> like I think if Zack Ryder had still been part of WWE, that could have been like a nice rivalry put into the mix. I think this whole Robert Stone thing has really been mishandled for the start. I think because like CLT Green was doing some good stuff with uh, Joe Perazzo on like live events, but instead of them being managed as a tag team, maybe had them challenge the women's tag champs. They just they let Diana Perazzo go. They did Chelsea as a single star. She wasn't winning a lot, and then when she finally does get a win, they just have her fire Robert Stone just outright. Like I feel like uh, him getting fired and then having a belt breakdown would be a good story, but I just think it's coming way too soon. And then he tries to get another client who just loses. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's either going to go that way or it's going to he's going to finally get someone to. To represent, and they're going to go on like on this hot winning streak, and it's going to be like down to bragging in front of Chelsea or something because maybe she's turned on a losing streak. You don't know, but no, I I do agree. It's it's far too soon for them to do this mental breakdown. As funny as it is, because it's that tragic, mm-hmm. um, it's still really really early. And much to my dismay, I'm going to move on to the next match because I see, like, everyone will learn. I was, like, I was thinking, why am I doing Wednesday Night Wars when I have a gripe for no reason with Cameron Grimes? I just don't like him. And every single time I hear that music and see his tiny hat, I'm just like, no, I'm not having any of this. Like, I, well, I, I think I might be the only one. I don't know. How do you feel about Cameron Grimes? Well, I don't like his... Uh, I mean, I've seen a lot of people complain whenever Michael Cole says it's boss team whenever Sasha Banks comes out, but then Tom Phillips saying it's grind team. Oh, making yeah, it like, please don't make that a thing. <laughs> yeah. I just... I, I, I don't know what it is, but I've just never... never bought into it. I think it's just the fact that it's pretty much the same gimmick from when before... He came to WWE, except they've added a hat. Yeah, that's basically all it is. <laughs> that's basically all it is. Is that they've added a hat? Um, but he was up against Mister Resident Thick Boy Bronson Reed. <laughs> like, I think this could have been like the opportunity to put Reed over with some more momentum. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really know, but it's it was because it's coming. Grimes is coming off a, 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 well, a somewhat victory over Finn Balor, and I'm still seething to this day about it because you're like, how could Finn lose to someone with a little hat? Yeah, I really thought Bronson would have got the win as well because they aren't really, he's one of the people they're not doing much with. Like, it's not that Derby doesn't have a, like, he doesn't have a shortage of like big men, but I really think he's, got, he's someone they could really do a lot with. But, they just sound like they know how to package him because like they're coming he's coming at clearly as a face when maybe I know it's like stereotypical for most big guys, but maybe he'd be better off as a heel. Because maybe mm-hmm. they actually find something more interesting for him to do. Yeah, it was it was quite a a strange match. Like it didn't even last that long. It was actually surprisingly short. Um, for what I would expect, but from what c- came after, I can kind of see why. Mm-hmm. Um, because you had 
Karrion Cross appear in the ring and he basically he, he, he took out Bronson Reed with his Doomsday Sato, I think he calls it. Yeah, the, the Doomsday Sato. Mm-hmm. I think it was impressive doing a big guy like Bronson Reed, but basically it's just kicking O'Malley's down because you had him lose and then just get him beat up, basically feeding him a carrying cross just as another way of building him up for Tommaso Ciampa. Well, yeah, because like that's that's probably like one of the interesting matches that's going to be happening at Takeover in your house. It was a it was a way to sort of add that final touch mm-hmm. because you've only really seen Karen Cross in the ring once, and it was against like a sort of regular sized athlete, and this is him taking on a really really big guy and just picking him up and throwing him like it was nothing, and you're like, oh. <laughs> You have like that small bit of fear for Tommaso Ciampa, but I think when it comes to the first rivalry that he's going to have, Ciampa's probably the best person. Mm. Yeah, definitely, because especially if Cross wins, it's like over an established guy, and I think, I don't know if Ciampa loses a lot by losing a... Cross is, you know, it would be a good way because they clearly have a lot of faith in Cross given the way they package them and give them that amazing entrance. Mm-hmm. No, no, I I do completely agree. And it'll be very, very interesting to see how those two gel in the ring uh, come this Sunday night. Mm-hmm. And also you've got to have, not forget that the fact you've got Scarlett at ringside as well and you don't know what part she's going to play in all of this because so far she just looks like the valet. But mm-hmm you don't know much about what her character is going to be. And that's that's adding a lot of mystery to it. Because you don't know what's going to happen with that. Yeah. So we'll come into like the final 20 minutes. So this is like the sort of big attention um, that's been put on for like the past few weeks. Um, because Jordan Devlin has not been able to, you know, leave Ireland uh, due to lockdown and... COVID-19, the WWE decided to hold an interim tournament well, a tournament to hold, like to create an interim champion and I always have to reiterate, it is an interim champion, they are not the champion mm-hmm. um, unless you have, you know, gained a thick Irish accent and, called, and call yourself Jordan Devlin you're not the champion um, but we had Drake Maverick taking on El Himo del T- Fantasma oh, that's a mouthful I'll just call him Fantasma um, did you expect it to be these two men in the finals when the brackets were first announced? No, because well, one I was hopeful for a, a good run for Kashia, which is why I picked the bugger in the my, <laughs> my draft team. So then I was like, well, Kashida's no one, and then like Drake better win because otherwise my my losing points will be for nothing. And I think with Fantasma is like. I know he's fairly new, but I thought if you're going to have Drake in the final and not have him win, and you really want a heel, you really like have that moment where it looks like they've crushed like, Drake's dreams. And I thought Gallagher would have been a better guy to do it. Because like, you don't want to stir people on the new guy by having him beat the guy who's organically got himself over and got everybody behind him in mm-hmm. Fantasmal. But I think the ending with those fast guys, I mean, me and Ross were talking about it, maybe secretly Fantasmal's like, behind these like mass guys who've been kidnapping people and maybe it's revealed that Great Maverick 
distracted and like that was taking them out was what they wanted because that really is created the opening for Phantasma. See, I have started to actually think the exact same as you and Ross, um, because like you've seen me in the group chat that I just I want to find out what's happened to Joaquin Wild and Raul Mendoza because they've been abducted and we've not heard from them since. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the fact that they they tried to get Kushida on more than one occasion, and they've tried to, to maybe throw us off and try and take Phantasma as well. But like I still want to find out what's happened to Raul and Joaquin because they've not even they've not tweeted they've not done anything and it's scary it's scaring me because i really want to find out what's happened to them i really hope that is the case that he's buying them and he can go on this kind of heel run with the title because otherwise like i could not give less of a shit about elephant el yo de fantasmo if i tried because like just not much to him i've seen him briefly before he came to WWE, and i couldn't give a shit about him then and really, I've not seen much else other than he wears a mask and is very good at high flying, much like the rest of the division. Like, yeah, he's like he's the typical luchador mm-hmm. that you'd expect. It's just his English isn't the best, um. So unless they pair him with a manager that is really good at talking, like what Zelina Vega done for Andrade, mm-hmm. it's not going to work. Like, I think. Don't get me wrong. Whenever Jordan's able to, you know, come back to the US. And him versus Phantasma will be an extraordinary match. Mm-hmm. But I kind of hope that they put the belt back on Jordan. Mm-hmm. Just because at least he can cut a promo, he can make you hate him. Whereas, like you said, there's not much to Phantasma right now except from the fact he's, he wears a mask and that he's good in the ring and he's a really, really good high flyer. Yeah, because like, I would have thought if like, they weren't going to, if Jordan couldn't defend the title, then they would have put it on somebody. Do they were maybe relying on having them drop it to anyway, or having to defend it against anyway, so that he could continue a natural story when Devlin eventually came back? Mm-hmm. But I think then also things have changed so much with the way that Drake got over. Uh, they try to swear with people, and I, mean, I don't know why Phantasma Bobby was chosen because he didn't have too much buzz when he came in as much as other people have when they come in next team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was just sort of like another name people. Like he's had like one or two vignettes, but you're like, yeah, okay, so he's he's another luchador. What's so special about this one? Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll end this on a very very high note because at the end of this, we saw Maverick saying his goodbye because originally he had been let go from WWE when they had their clear out uh, in about April time, but after having a very very emotional video put out. It seems that WWE had changed their mind and made this a redemption story for Maverick because Triple H offered him an NXT contract at the end of the show. Do you think that was the right thing to happen? Yeah, because I think much like many people who were listed in the releases, like it felt it was bad that like I don't think they should have let Maverick go in the first place because there's still a lot to offer, and I think if anything. It made the cruiserweight tournament much more interesting than it would have been, because you've got like the story of Drake to kind of follow, and like his ups and downs and like trying to get to the final, in order to keep his job. Like, um, there's still a lot of confusion as to where like this was like a case of they changed their minds. Was it a work from the start? Was he ever actually fired? And like, if he, either way, it's not very good to some of the people who 
or if I actually if I like especially if it was just a work the whole time because like the idea of like oh yeah he's getting, he's been listed alongside all of you who we really think we can get rid of but we're actually going to bring him back and like make him part of the roster but yeah we're going to keep the rest of you like we're not bringing you back even though there's a report that they've talked to a number of the talents that they let go about bringing them back but for a lot less money yeah it it it's either one or two ways that it could be taken like. I think this is sort of something that split the fan base 50-50 because you get a lot of fans that say that this is like a lovely, incredible moment and that he's worked his way back. Mm-hmm. And then you get the other half that say it's a bit of a slap in the face to the other ones that got released. Because mm-hmm. um, we have seen like mm, a few people tweeting out, like including Leo Rush, expressing his feelings about it, former Cruiserweight champion himself, actually. Um as being the ones that got released, but it's it's really, really hard because you don't know what the proper circumstances backstage were. If it was, like, you, you, you know that somewhere down the line it was turned into a storyline for a reason. Um, otherwise, they would have just told them, actually, no, we'll replace you in the tournament. I think mm-hmm. as soon as they didn't replace them in the, in the tournament, that mm-hmm. was a clear-cut sign that there was something going on but it also just makes it look like if you're going to cry and everything like be like really really emotional and make a big deal out of it that you're gonna you know get what you want it depends on how you look at it though yeah especially like cause not just in wrestling there have been like multiple places like across the world that where people are like either losing their jobs because of lockdown or been put on furlough and the idea is obviously they might not get their jobs back and they tune into wrestling to escape from all that and then they see somebody who got fired and then gets their job back. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's a weird way thing. It's a weird way for Maverick to somehow prove his worth to WWE, which I think he'd already done before this. Like, having it be fired in order to prove why they should keep you around is just so weird. Yeah, no, it, it, is, it is one of the weirder things that has happened in wrestling lately. But you don't know what was going on. I mean, because we all know that everyone was losing their jobs. But we don't know why it did have to go that way. That he had to sort of prove himself worthy when we all know that he's charismatic, he's good in the ring, and you can buy into everything that Drake Maverick actually does. Yeah. It would have been interesting to see like what him and a lot of the other release guys like do when like the Indies start back up again, but mm-hmm. I think it is good that he did get a second chance. Whether or not again I said it was planned or not, and hopefully like, he does a lot more. Like it's not just a case of always seeing them, but we're only going to see him occasionally. Like he actually gets something worthwhile to do with like within the cruiserweight division. We see him more as a wrestler than we have before. Yeah, no, I think that if if they do this the right way, then they have to they have to give a good push. For Maverick, I mean, I could see him being like the new number one contender after everything goes back to normal. Mm-hmm. And as like a sort of redemption story, him versus Jordan Devlin would be a fun match to see, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was still quite a, it was still quite an emotional moment at the end. Uh, everyone chanting, "Thank you, thank you, Maverick, and thank you, Drake." And Triple H is the one to come out and says, "This is for you." You did kind of want to feel something. Yeah, and it's good that they. This was while they. Uh, this was around at the time that they brought like trainees in to actually be in the crowd because 
this moment would have been way more awkward if like, this was still during like when they didn't have any fans in the in the building. He's yeah, wandering up the ramp by himself in an empty building. Yeah, thinking like that just that's crickets. <laughs> yeah, crickets for such an emotional moment. Um, mm. so I've got one last question. Um, so out of ten, how would you rate both AEW and NXT this week? I think they're both very similar. I think they're both kind of even playing. I think I'd rate NXT a tad higher because obviously they have a, they have a go as a go home show for them, mm-hmm. and obviously they're throwing everything they had at they had the prime targets and all that. So maybe seven and a half for NXT, seven for AEW. So they're very close. We didn't mm-hmm. even talk about like the TNT title match on AEW, but to be fair, I kind of prefer the tag title match anyway. Because yeah. <laughs> the issue with the TNT title match was they were basically wrestling under TV time remaining. And so obviously they had to kind of quickly do the go home spot when I thought the match could have done with another five minutes. But obviously if they went five more minutes, they would have went off air mid match. Yeah, no, I had a bit of a gripe with that TNT championship match. Nothing to take away from Jungle Boy. Mm-hmm. It's, but it's, they've still got that underlying storyline with MGF. As yeah. well, and Cody seems to not be able to go a single match without busting himself open. I know what is it with the roads, like always busting themselves open. The roads like blood. Apparently, uh, and then it's like the unnecessary pyro at the end as well. It's like this is, I know it's, I know it's Cody, but you still don't need that pyro. Something that I will, I just look forward to is the idea of like the weekly TNT title defenses, mm-hmm. like. Mark Quinn from Private Party is getting an opportunity next week. And I think uh, Tony Schiavone got his weeks mixed up. Because at one point he says, well, the winner of this match goes on next week to face Ray Phoenix. Like, like I think what? Tony got a bit confused. <laughs> like, when does Ray Phoenix get the title? Ray Phoenix is sitting at home watching like, like what? He's <laughs> like, I'm the champion? What? Yeah. So that was this week's uh, Wednesday Night Wars with covered a few things we've not covered absolutely everything because there's some things that are quite questionable like the QT Marshall and Ali but that's a story <laughs> for another day um, I want to thank you Scott for joining me for the new premiere episode of Wednesday Night Wars I'm happy to be here you know, it's been far too long since we had one of these so you know, I was happy to be a part of it yeah no absolutely and just to remind everybody that our weekly shows come out on a Thursday on Android, Spotify, all good podcasting sites, including iTunes as well. And make sure that you're subscribed to us on those platforms. Also, make sure you're following us on social media. And I hope you're having a lovely morning, afternoon or evening, whatever time you're listening to this. Bye bye. All right.